On this episode of Seeking Tumness, we'll be discussing some fairly heavy topics, including suicide and self-harm. If that's going to be any sort of problem for you at all, maybe you should just skip over this one and we'll catch you on the next episode. I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I bought it out and one dropped off But I, I'm still seeking tumbling I'm still seeking tumbling Hello and welcome to another grim episode of Seeking Tumness, the podcast where we stoically sift through contemporary young adult fiction to see which are flops and which are fantastic. On alternate episodes, we show our age and dig up some older YAF to see if they were really the good old days or simpler books for a pre-smartphone generation. My name is Laurie and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, the studious Keith Rowe. Hey, hey. The Bree Average. Bree? <laughs> Cuckoo. And the truant, Patrick Moon. Hi. I actually go by the name of Glenn now. Thanks, Laurie. <laughs> okay. I don't get it. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, does this mean you're not allowed to serve the military or something? I'm not sure. <laughs> Read more YA, you fools. <laughs> this episode, Patrick thrusts us into it book and television series, 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher. He holds us down and hits the flush button. Before you find out if we're drowned in misery or we're moved and informed by a modern fable, a warning. In this episode of Seeking Tumness, we will reveal the fate of Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen. No, not really. Basically, there are zero reasons why you shouldn't just purchase this top-selling novel and then grab it on your favourite Netflix streaming device. Well, there might be one or two reasons. Barisa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Patrick. Oh, go on. Patrick, would you like to regale us with... Page one. Oh, no, it's Laurie. Damn it. Well, just reveal your true preferences there, Brie. <laughs> it's nice to have the dulcet tones. <laughs> well, you'll have to pick up the nasal uh, falsetto sounds of Laurie. I'm sorry. No, that's not what I meant. Sir, she repeats, how soon do you want it to get there? I rub two fingers. Hard over my left eyebrow. The, th- the, th- <laughs> the throbbing has become intense. <laughs> it doesn't it. matter, I say. <laughs> the clerk takes the package. The same shoebox that sat on my porch less than 24 hours ago, rewrapped in a brown paper bag, sealed with clear packing tape, exactly as I had received it. But now addressed with a new name, the next name on Hannah Baker's list. Baker's dozen, I mumble. Then I feel disgusted for even noticing it. Excuse me? I shake my head. How much is it? She places the box on a rubber pad, then punches a sequence on her keypad. I set my cup of gas station coffee on the counter and glance at the screen. I pull a few bills from my wallet, dig some coins out of my pocket and place the money on the counter. I don't think the coffee's kicked in yet, she says. You're missing a dollar. I hand over the extra dollar, then rub the sleep from my eyes. The coffee's lukewarm when I take a sip, making it harder to gulp down. But... I need to wake up somehow. Or maybe not. Maybe it's best to get through the day half asleep. Maybe that's the only way to get through today. It should arrive at this address tomorrow, she says. Maybe the day after tomorrow. Then she drops the box into a cart behind her. I should have waited until after school. I should have given Jenny one final day of peace. Though she doesn't deserve it. When she gets home tomorrow, or the next day, she'll find a package on her doorstep. Or if her mum or dad or someone else gets there first, maybe she'll find it on her bed. And she'll be excited. I was excited. A package with no return address? Did they forget? Or was it intentional? Maybe from a secret admirer? Do you want your receipt? The clerk asks. I shake my head. A small printer clicks one out anyway. I watch her tear the slip across the serrated plastic and drop it into a wastebasket. There's only one post office in town. 
I wonder if the same clerk helped the other people on the list, those who got this package before me. Did they keep their receipts as sick souvenirs, tuck them into their underwear drawers, pin them up on cork boards? I almost ask for my receipt back. I almost say, I'm sorry, can I have it after all? As a reminder. But if I wanted a reminder, I could have made copies of the tapes or saved the map. But I never want to hear those tapes again, though her voice will never leave my head. And the houses, the streets, and the high school will always be there to remind me. Beautiful. Was it everything you dreamed it would be? Uh, It was everything that I dreamed it would be because I'd seen the TV show before I read the book. So it was pretty much much exactly what I dreamed it would be. It was good. I liked the way that it, it didn't spill everything that it had to offer immediately on the first page. I was probably going to be drawn in if I wasn't already aware of what the whole premise of the story was. Although just hearing you read it now, maybe it dragged on a little bit too long with the mystery and the sort of overwrought emotion that came along with it, that very uh, recognisable teenage angst that I feel like I have been exposed to more than I would want to be over the past couple of years, thanks to this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) What about you, Brie? Oh, look, it was okay. I was just, (laughs) as Laurie was reading it, asking myself, who's Jenny? Because I finished reading this now a couple of weeks back, but we've been watching the television series. And so obviously the name Jenny is something else entirely in the television series. And that's not the only thing that changes. It was okay. I'm interested to know what's on the tapes, but again, yeah, it's okay. What about you, Laurie? Yeah, I didn't have any expectations about the book. I knew it was a bit of a phenomenon because of the recent Netflix series and a lot of discussion about it. And I knew it involved suicide, but I didn't know much beyond that. And reading that first part, I wasn't actually sure what time period it was set in as well. I wasn't sure if it was 80s or contemporary or or what. The mystery of the tapes, though, interested me. But yeah, it's a little slow. Keith? I had also watched the TV series based on Pat's recommendation, so it's kind of cheating a little bit, but it was a little slow to start. It focused in on this minutiae. I appreciate that it's kind of a difficult jump on point here because of the way the book moves through time. It starts and then goes back and tells the story. Here you find out that he's had these tapes for 24 hours but don't know what's on them. I think he chose a really poignant point to stop. The page one reading there, that was where really it got me and I wanted to read on. Yeah, right. All right then, Pat, you unleash this dread beast upon us. How does it tear us asunder hereafter? The story essentially revolves around Clay Jensen, the protagonist who we've just heard about in the first page, who receives this mysterious box of tapes, which, as it turns out, are from his deceased schoolmate, Hannah Baker, who has killed herself sometime previously and recorded her suicide note in this somewhat interactive kind of way to pass around the friends and schoolmates who she feels have wronged her throughout the final stages of her life. And she kind of tortures them in a way, I suppose, psychologically uh, with these tapes and they're to be circled around the group under threat of a second set of tapes being released publicly and humiliating everybody. And so what it is is it's a Clay's journey through the the tormented final weeks of Hannah's life as she grasps with the idea of suicide with continuing life and outlines all of the things that have happened to her in recent times. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Why, Pat? Why? <laughs> okay. I'll tell you why I chose this book. Uh, I watched the Netflix series and I thought it was really well done. There were some parts that were perhaps slow. There were parts that were a little bit difficult, particularly towards the front end of the series. The tapes that Hannah produces kind of escalate in the severity of the offences that she's outlining, the things that people have done to her. And by the end of the TV show, I was really gripped. I couldn't look away from it. I found it really impactful. I thought there were excellent performances. Just all around, it was a good production. If you put aside all of the controversy about whether it should have been created in the first place, given the the sort of issues that it represents and potentially the difficulties that it has presented for people who have watched it. And having seen that, I thought, well, this is right in our wheelhouse. Yes! (laughs) 
<laughs> Drinking games off to a good start. <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was right in the Seeking Tumnus zone, really. It's YA fiction. It's out there in the media at the moment. It's causing a bit of a ruckus. And we are clearly the experts in the field, so we should have our say. <laughs> so we should jump on that bandwagon and triple our listeners to 36 an episode. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Don't say that. Macmillan might be listening. Anyway. <laughs> That's so inaccurate, Brie, anyway. Hundreds, hundreds. <laughs> I know, I know, but come on, you know, it makes a good story. And if we released Brog every week, maybe that would be true. <laughs> when do we start our side podcast, Brogcast? <laughs> I think we started it, but just no one's listening. <laughs> I'm still hoping that Audible and Casper are going to get in touch with us and offer some of those podcast <laughs> promotions. <laughs> Enter coupon code TUMNUS. We can just start doing them anyway so we feel like part of the crew. Squarespace, that's the only one yeah, I can remember. Off. What about Blue Apron? <laughs> Blue Apron, <laughs> MailKimp. Yeah, go to blueapron.com slash TESD. Yes, that's us, TESD. <laughs> anyway. Pat, Pat, we're going to have to cut this. Nobody wants to listen to our laugh and banter this long. Patrick, the television show obviously set up some high expectations for the book. How did it match up? I thought it really fell short, unfortunately. I was really... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It'll be interesting to hear the opposite. Yes, which you will. Mm, yes, yes. I was uh, super disappointed in this book. I found it so average and so mediocre and I found it a real struggle to get through by the end. So this is this is the occasion where I've been that I've been waiting for where I haven't gone in knowing what I'm bringing to the table and bringing quality and stuff that I really stand behind and have really enjoyed in the past. I'm coming with something hat in hand saying, oh God, guys, this was a bad book and I'm so sorry for inflicting it upon you. <laughs> it was, it had the elements, it had some good stuff. It's The tapes are an intriguing sort of concept as an idea, as a kind of hook, but it wasn't pulled off well. The flaws that were in the TV show I thought were magnified in the book. Looking back at it, in retrospect, I thought the TV show did a really good job in ironing out the kinks that were present in the source material. The chopping and changing between Clay's narrative and Hannah's narrative is really jarring and it's every couple of lines. It's not something that I expected. I thought you would have a bit of a, a chunk of a tape and you would get to listen to Hannah's perspective, then hear what Clay is doing, get some of his thoughts and things. But in places you have two lines of Hannah, two lines of Clay, two lines of Hannah, two lines of Clay, and it becomes very difficult to follow. I don't know whether you guys found that. I agree with that. And I found it doesn't feel like a conversation. I think if the short and sharp had been made almost like a conversation, it would have worked better, but it was really distracting from the story. I agree with that particular point. I'll just jump in there and say, I believe when he first wrote it, he had no interjections from Clay in the tapes and he went back and added that in. I'll tell you what I think about that in a few minutes. <laughs> okay. I, I look forward to it. I can tell you what I think about it now is that he shouldn't have done it or he should have done it to a more reasonable extent because there would be times where I'd be reading a passage in Clay's voice or in Hannah's voice and then suddenly think to myself, oh, no, this is the other character right now. I have just lost track of who is speaking. And obviously it's all italicised and so it might have something to do with my own simple mind that that was an issue, but... <laughs> you might need specs. <laughs> Potentially. It just popped up for me a few times. That element I found a bit of a struggle. Then, as I alluded to earlier, the escalation of the offences that people have committed against Hannah, we ultimately end in sexual assault and this really awful downward spiral which feels intense and feels gripping and feels realistic but the sort of things that she talks about in the early stages are often just schoolyard stuff that is not necessarily great but it's not necessarily it pales in comparison to what we get at the end and so by that point you kind of think oh well why was I reading all of this stuff a hundred pages ago because it's almost irrelevant. Oh, really? Isn't that what happens in the show, though, as well? Oh, 
Yeah, it happens in the show as well. And I found that those middle few episodes of the show really sagged as a result as well. I think the show did a better job of integrating it and showed a a sort of escalation of behavior. But in the book, I didn't find that so much. I just found it a struggle. And I appreciated that in the book. I appreciated that it was this slow unraveling of these small events that compounded to give her this awful reputation that was completely undeserved. And the subtlety of building each of these layers of things that had been done that in isolation didn't mean anything, but that were having an effect on her and her school results and her behavior, and that nobody was picking up on that gentle building of isolation and loneliness and how that was Mm. impacting on her. I think that was really probably more well done in the book despite the jarring text and things than it was maybe in the more exaggerated story of the television show. Yeah, and the television show did commit some sins in terms of exaggeration. I'll give it that. There's there's a point where I think Justin talks about killing Clay, which is just absurd. Hmm. Yeah, overall it was done well. On the note of her reputation, that's another point that I found quite jarring with it was there was this talk about Hannah's reputation and people would think she was a slut, that would think she was easy, that would think she might be a woman who enjoys having sex, heaven forbid, because that's the worst thing on the planet. And I found that element quite worrying as well because there was no counterpoint to that. It was all this voice of Clay's internal monologue saying, well, no, Hannah, I know you weren't. I know you weren't like a slut. I know you didn't get around with all these guys. And there was no one there to say, well, hey, like what the hell does it matter if she did? Like, what? It, it doesn't, it's a stupid thing to have a reputation about anyway. And obviously that's very high school. It's very adolescent. It's very young person ideas to be intimidated by their sexuality, to be intimidated by the idea of people thinking that you enjoy your sexuality. But again, it's that thing with this young adult stuff where I think if you're going to market a book to people like this, if you're going to market a book to young people, there needs to be, I don't know, it needs to be grounded in some kind of place that they can take the right message away from. And I don't know that it hit the mark on that note here either. Do you think they got the right message from the TV show? No, I don't think they got the right message in the TV show either. I think they're both hugely problematic pieces of work for one reason or another. But I think the TV show, at least, was a very enjoyable piece of work. And that's about all I can say for it, I suppose. I think I've been rambling a lot. So, what did you think of it, Keith? (laughs) I've got some counterpoints, I guess, to, to your thoughts. So, firstly, I enjoyed reading this book. I, Like I said earlier, I watched the, the series first and I thought although it played out across a completely different time span to the TV series, I thought it had a lot of the same beats in the storytelling. The TV show could have been cut down and the book could have been lengthened probably. But I did actually like the way we had Hannah's tape intertwined with Clay's immediate reactions. I thought it added depth, complexity and an alternate viewpoint that I think was necessary. And it was necessary not only to highlight Hannah's struggle with her mental illness and to point out that she was at times illogical, but also they're there to show how Clay dealt with his grief and came to understand why Hannah acted in the way that she did. I thought they were good and I thought they were necessary, but I thought they were far too frequent, like way too frequent. They would be more poignant if they were just 25% of them instead of what we got. Yeah, true. That's probably a good point. We didn't need them to be every second line. I don't agree. I Probably I'm the only person that, by the sounds of it. I didn't have a problem at all with the rhythm uh, with which, in which, by which they crossed over. I found it fairly easy reading to switch over between them and, and sometimes it was a bit slower and sometimes it was a bit faster when there was something more dramatic going on or something that directly affected Clay like his desired relationship with her and the misunderstandings and all that kind of thing. I really didn't have a problem with it. Anyway, go on. I'm definitely more on that side of things. I thought it was there to also show Clay's feelings and that I thought was essential to building the tension. And in the very penultimate scene where Hannah goes to see the counsellor, you really felt or I really felt Clay's feelings coming through, the feelings of frustration and annoyances with the way that this counsellor has dealt with Hannah's issues 
and even though we know the outcome for a Hannah at that point and through the entire story, there was some tension there and I thought that came from being able to see and feel Clay's feelings through that moment. It was a devastating moment that when she's reaching out to a person in a position of authority who should ideally have been trained in how to respond. And even though Hannah herself was reluctant to engage with Mr. Porter in a non-dismissive way, he should have done a whole lot better than he did. That moment where he presents the option of just moving on, it was heartbreaking. And even though Hannah had already made her mind up, there should have been a glimmer of hope from this. This should have been her way out at this point. I was just going to say, I had that moment of double think where I knew she was dead, but I hoped that he would save her in that point. Like, yeah. I, I knew it wasn't going to end well, but I desperately was hoping that it would. She said, it says some line like, this is my final chance. I'll give life one last chance. And he just obviously blows it with his horrible, horrible technique or advice or whatever. And it's disappointed when once again, she was let down. It's even more frustrating because he seems to be at first going in the right direction and getting her to open up a bit and then it's cut short when he presents these options to her and one of them is just to move on and forget about it and that is where she just blanks out completely and and leaves and that's basically her last interaction with anyone and it's yeah frustrating for Clay and frustrating reading that as well. I liked this idea of the snowball effect because it's a real thing and I've seen it myself in my own life. Things go wrong, you have a bad week and lesser things suddenly blow up in, in their magnitude. Things you could normally move past easily become more of a struggle than they usually are. So I like that we saw these things that maybe at first seem petty or just normal teenage things and they're contributing to the overall deterioration of Hannah. Do you think we could have mm. done better with six reasons why rather than 13 reasons why they? Yeah, I mean... I do believe I've read somewhere that the idea for the book started with the tape. Yeah. This is an author who had previously been trying to write books that were funny for teens. And this idea of the baker's dozen, I think, has set the number, perhaps. <laughs> I mean, I feel like a bad joke is not a good reason to set the length no, of your book. I, I agree. I agree. I don't know if six would have been enough, to be honest with you. Like... Yes, I can see the joke there, but I didn't feel like 13 was an unreasonable number. It was just that slow accumulation of things mm. that destroyed optimism. Yeah, it was building layer upon layer. Mm. And those really devastating events once optimism and hope for the future and, and hope for uh, an end to loneliness and all of those kind of things had occurred. I, they were the big nails in the in the coffin, so to speak. And when you're a teen, you've got these huge emotions that are – it doesn't take much to sway you from being incredibly optimistic one day to sinking a little bit lower to looking over your shoulder and wondering what's coming behind you, wondering what's coming next. I think we kind of lose sight of, as adults, we lose sight of the importance of some of that to a teenager and how that can have such a devastating effect. Yeah, definitely that's true. Yeah, if you're... If if your mind is at the most receptive as a teenager when your your brain is growing and you're learning all these new ideas and behaviours, to have so many things go wrong in such a short amount of time I think would be, yeah, incredibly impactful for an adult as well as a teenager but mm. potentially more so for a teenager. One of the reasons in particular I found quite jarring, which was this the stalker episode, which was quite early on. I can't remember how far in, but I think it was only two or three. Yeah, third tape, mm. I think. And that's just not right. Like, and in what in what universe do you think it's okay to pretend to lead a stalker on so they can take pictures? I just found that really at odds with the whole thing. It wasn't one of those subtle layers that made sense to me. Well, that was the one that they slightly changed in the TV show and I think it made perhaps a little bit more sense in the show. It wasn't quite the, the same motivation there. Yeah, it was still a bit jarring for me the way they did it. It, mm. it. They did introduce another element in the terms of she had this friend, Courtney, who was helping her. and They just sort of got distracted in a kind of friendship sexual exploration moment rather than attempting to sort of tantalise the stalker outside the window. Yes. It was more a moment of a lapse of judgment and concentration and mm. yeah. i don't think courtney was expecting the stalker at all mm. right mm. Yeah, she was but having said that how much do you actually lapse in conf concentration when you've got when you know that there's going to be a stalker outside like well yeah 
It was just a bit odd. I think she was in the book, Keith, but in the TV series, I I didn't think she really believed there's going to be a stalker outside. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been taking a top off. Really. Yeah, she was pretty distraught when she realised that her photo had been taken, I think, and she hustled the hell out of there, didn't she, rather than in the book where she was very conscious of what was going on. Yeah, it was a very different yeah. scene mm. in both. But, yeah, there was some odd behaviour. Both, both of them were originated from Courtney, not from Hannah. but Both flawed. Yeah, she was a victim of not only the peeping Tom but also of... Courtney in both cases. Mm. I liked the ending of the book. Basically, it presented an opportunity to learn from what had happened and to think more about how our actions can have an effect on others because we ultimately don't know what's happening in other people's lives or in their heads. So if we can prevent contributing to the snowball effect in someone else's life, it's a better approach than having to deal with the repercussions from the cumulative issues. Ultimately, prevention is better than cure. Do you want to hand over to me? I was just checking the list. Laurie. (laughs) Laurie, what did you think? Well, I'm not sure I've ever read a book that has so completely filled me with dread. After the first couple of tapes, I legitimately felt a mix of low-level stomach sickness and desire to proceed. I was desperate for a glimmer of hope of some kind. It was tense, but it was also a real page-turner. I wouldn't say that I enjoyed the experience. It was depressing as hell and I wouldn't read it again, but I think that every teen should read it. I don't think it's often the case that we feel like we've learnt something from a book and it sounds like you did, Keith, because we're going along the same lines here. But I believe my horizons were broadened a little bit in that, in theory, a small misdeed of my own might be part of a bigger cumulative nightmare of somebody else. I finished this book and although I try to be nice to people in general, even though I give my close friends a bit of shtick sometimes. You can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to be a better person afterwards and be more conscious of my actions. Hannah, tragically, I thought was a great character. She's feisty, clever, with a cracking, sarcastic wit and... She's effortlessly insightful. Even though I was so miserable about the horrid goings-on that slowly crushed that spirit, Jay Asher still made me smile at her at times. The real tragedy for me, I guess, was the impossibility of Hannah ever becoming the fuller, more amazing and experienced person that people become as they move out of their teens and into their mid-twenties. I feel that there's a transition point where people just become more complete, I guess, and comfortable as, as humans, as adults. And Hannah never having the chance to feel that contentedness is just devastating. I I mourn her a little bit, like I would a real person. And that's why, for me, the book succeeded. You transcend the horror learn from it and mourn the robbery that happens. Hannah is robbed of hope and the world is robbed of the Hannah that could be. It was a real eye-opener of a book for me. Tense, miserable, but revelatory. As an aside, I like that the author weaved in the signs of depression, the ones that we are taught. Things like the drastic change of appearance and disinterest in hobbies and isolationism and Pat, you could probably fill in the blanks there, but I liked that the author weaved those in and they were recognised and addressed by Hannah, even as she was living them. But to me, it didn't feel forced. I didn't think he was just jamming them in. It felt fairly natural. Lastly, I was expecting, desperately hoping, that Clay was actually a good guy. I was so glad he didn't suddenly remember shitting on Hannah's pillow (laughs) (laughs) at school camp or something. (laughs) So I was happy to listen to his tape or or read about his tape. Did you feel it's a bit of a cop-out, though, when Hannah is performing this great act of almost psychological warfare upon these hapless high school students and she gets to Clay and says, oh, actually, Clay, you don't really belong here, Mm. having just sort of made him listen to nine tapes or something to get to find out, you know, what he has done wrong. Totally. Well... Totally, because there's 13 hooks in this show and that's the biggest one for me, that knowing, wanting to know why Clay is on the tapes because nothing we know about Clay would put him on the tapes and it turns out to be the case that there is nothing that should put him on the tape. So that for me was a a bit of a a letdown as well. The reason I didn't feel that is because if she she was aware at all that he liked her and she liked him, then it at least gives him the perspective that he might never had. He might always wonder whether or not he played a part in it or why couldn't he have stopped it or why didn't he know or 
there's a lot of reasons. There's 12 other reasons in there, basically, that give him an idea of what happened and were beyond his control. Mm. She could have still reached out to Clay separate to the tapes as well. I didn't dislike that he wasn't on the tapes for a reason. I just felt like maybe it was not the boldest or the bravest story choice. But sometimes that's nice as a viewer to be like, oh, thank Christ. Thank you. The TV show did a better job of this, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely added a bit more complexity to Clay's involvement. Clay bought into some of the rumours and things in the TV show and Clay reprimanded her and really Mm. gave her, in Laurie's words, a bit of shtick for her actions. Which is a bit more realistic. They rounded him out a little bit. I think it was better done. Mm. Anyway, sorry, Laurie. No worries. That's pretty much all I had for the book. So over to you, Bree. I actually have nothing else to add because I couldn't say how I felt about it more eloquently. In particular, the the part about feeling absolute dread because each of those individual situations have elements of this could happen. This this could have happened. This is the kind of accumulation of crap teenage behaviour that you can see usually in individual instances, but sometimes maybe they are in a sequence that leads to something like this. And I just, I don't know, I have two kids. I don't want it to get to that point. And I think everybody should read it. Thanks, Bree. Can I add in something I missed when I was talking before? Mm-hmm. Something else that the book did for teenagers reading it, and this is from Jay Asher himself, because part of Clay's frustrations based around Hannah not taking the responsibility to reach out and ask for help, and numerous teens have read this and communicated with Jay Asher after reading it, that they had been frustrated reading it by Hannah not reaching out, and that stopped them from just dropping cryptic hints and instead prompted them to reach out and get the help that they needed. And I think that's an important message that's there in the book. Hmm. Shall we move on to TV? Let's. Hmm. We've discussed various points about it in our book review, but I'd like to talk about the TV series a bit more. Keith, do you want to get us started? Sure. I should have dropped this disclaimer before I said anything earlier because it's difficult for me or anyone else without formal training to discern between unrealistic, over-dramatised behaviour and realistic portrayals of a mentally distressed teenager with poor support systems. So what follows will be my ill-informed opinions. On the over-dramatization front, <laughs> I feel that when there's sensitive material involved, you can't fall back on the, but this is fiction, so it can be overplayed and exaggerated card. So right off the bat, I discounted that. And what I guess that means is that I did actually find aspects of this show to be intentionally provocative for the wrong reasons. Wrapping the content up as an appealing television series for a mass audience pulls the show into territory that the book didn't have to tread. I don't know whether that's fair or not. That's another question. But a movie or television show generally has a greater instantaneous effect on the cultural zeitgeist. And to me, this makes sense. The price of admission is lesser. It's less of a commitment. And it's more in tune with societal consumption of media. In addition with the book, there's more of an onus on the reader to fill in the blanks and every person can read a book and through the prism of their own existence have a unique and personal journey. But in film and television, you can't escape from a more developed interpretation required to present something visually to the audience and there's less scope for interpretation. So in some ways, the burden of responsibility increases and something deemed acceptable in a book for teenagers might not be considered acceptable in a visual representation. Is that just me being completely out of touch with things or does that make sense? What are you talking about in particular, though? Like, what what specific elements do you find objectionable in the TV show that weren't so in the book? Well, primarily it's around showing the suicide itself, which Mm -hmm. I think in the book it's pills that... Well, they don't do it in the book at all. No, they just talk about the pills. Yeah, that's right. Whereas in the show they made a conscious decision to show kind of graphic... It was a, a pretty violent scene, yeah. It was a violent scene, but there was a certain artistic side to it as well in the way it was presented, but it was definitely very graphic and hard to watch. It was really confronting, and that's what they wanted, and there was a conscious decision to do that, and I think for the right reasons, because it's something that's shied away from showing the actual methods 
of suicide and there's many reasons for that but here I think they wanted it to be gruesome they didn't want it to be something that was easy they wanted to show the gruesome side of it as a deterrent and uh, I don't know like I'm not I'm not qualified to comment on whether it's the right decision or not and I can see both sides of the story so I think it's certainly an interesting discussion point did anyone else find it uneasy oh gosh well Bray and I can't answer that because we haven't seen the last few episodes I think the last few were perhaps the best episodes yeah it's such a difficult thing to tread because as a piece of art and as a television show I thought that they did it really well I thought that it was confronting it was difficult to watch and it was immensely upsetting which in my eyes is what made it good it's what I enjoyed about it like as someone who's who wants to consume content that is challenging but the reality of the world is that not everyone is in a position mentally to be consuming content that is challenging and to be coming away from that in a continued healthy frame of mind. And there is that balance that you have to strike between what do I want to produce as a content creator and what is socially responsible for me to put out in the world? Because realistically, when you deal with this kind of subject matter, people are going to potentially follow suit people are going to become inspired to take further steps towards ending their own lives which is heavy it's really heavy and i don't know it's tough to say what the right thing is as a as a society where we draw the line between entertainment and putting material out in the world for education and for starting conversations and where we draw the line at, hey, no, this isn't stuff that we're comfortable talking about in this kind of arena because it's uncontrolled, it's unmoderated, and it's potentially harmful for people. I don't think any of us have really the right or or the the ultimate answer to that. Mm. Yeah, that's a fair conclusion to that. I did think, though, that the, the scenes of sexual assault being as confronting and playing out in just about their entirety was a good decision and they were equally as difficult to watch. But I Mm. think it's less contentious uh, in a way because it highlights something that's real and something that is a huge contributor to Hannah's problems here in, in this story and also Jessica's problems here and it's something that needs to be talked about as well as the aspects of suicide. So I think maybe that's even a stronger beat that this show in particular hits. It wasn't as highlighted in the book, I didn't think, but the show in particular really did a good job of highlighting just how horrible such actions are. It really took away the ambiguity that Hannah implied in the book and that wasn't really there. It was It was an awful scene. It was a horrible kind of action. But when you actually watch it when you watch it on tv it's hard not to feel physically ill to feel so impacted by it and to say well no hannah like you don't bear any responsibility for this situation it feels much more personal and immediate and woof it was rough it it was it was rough it was disgusting one thing didn't work for me at least in watching it was um What's his? What's the boyfriend's name? Justin. Justin. Yeah. Like Justin accepting being pushed out of the room by his friend, so his friend could rape his girlfriend, even mm. though he was drunk. That didn't seem to really make sense in the television show. I didn't really notice it as much in the book, and I think it played out slightly differently. But it just didn't make sense at all to me that he would allow his friend to do that if he was drunk and he's a jock. I would have expected the opposite kind of reaction for him to become horrifically violent and, and and beat up his friend rather than let him rape his girlfriend. It just didn't make sense in the television show for me. I think the message that was sort of conveyed throughout was that Bryce was this alpha male. He was the leader of the group. He was the one who had the power to give out and take away social approval and all of those sorts of things. And Justin was pretty cowed by that. And he was such a weak, pathetic character in a lot of ways as well. He he didn't have any backbone throughout the entire series. He had a whole complicated backstory with Bryce as well, coming from him living in a broken home. In a broken, abusive sort of family, which wasn't mm. part of the book as well, 
but I thought was a good introduction in the TV show because it did give a bit of perspective to why Justin perhaps was the way that he was. Mm. And not just Justin, like there was some of the the extended universe, I guess, of the television series was quite well done. The adding in the parents' perspective and seeing mm. how they're having to deal with the fact of their daughter's suicide and what they do to survive day to day, trying to keep a business running. I even quite liked the addition of the lawsuit because I think as a parent, you would be looking for the reasons why and trying to make a change of some description. I think that some of the additional characters added something to a series that needed to sort of pad it out a little bit, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Ooh. It was maybe a little too much, but they certainly added a whole bunch of different perspectives that we didn't have in the book. In the book, we had Clay and we had Hannah. That's really it. Whereas in in the show, because they stretched it out across 13 episodes and almost 12 hours of content, we had so much more time to fill and therefore the opportunity to look at these different perspectives and to play off these side stories like the parents and the, the lawsuits, which actually don't finish in this season and as we find out, there's going to be a second season, which feels like a bit of a punch in the guts in a show like this. I think it's an awful, awful, awful decision, and I don't know what they're thinking. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's tricky, I guess, Ray and I, having not finished the series, part of the reason that I think we haven't is that it feels like it's stretched out far too much for me. I think 13 episodes for 13 reasons is just... I think that's worse than the Baker's Dozen (laughs) in terms of affecting the content. It's been a bit of a slog for me to get through some of the padding. I think it gets better as you go along and the last few tapes, and perhaps that's why I have issues with some of those middle tapes. It might not necessarily be the, the content of what's on the tapes, but just the fact that I've watched the series through twice. And in that middle section, it's just, yeah, really a bit of a slog and you feel like maybe they should have been doing sort of two or three of these things in each episode rather than dedicating one episode to each side of a tape but by the end the final three to four episodes are just perfectly paced they're really well done they're really it it feels right at that point the bit that i can't cope with as well though is also the tony character I love Tony. I want to marry Tony. You can't cope with Tony. <laughs> he doesn't make sense to me. Tony's like my new man crush. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm missing that final bit, but he just he just keeps popping up and I just don't get it. You probably are missing the final piece if you don't get it yet, why Tony's so heavily involved. But, I mean, you've read the book now, so... <laughs> because to- Tony was the one that actually found Hannah in the TV show. No. Yeah, we, we know that. Well, yeah. I know that. But So what? <laughs> if we're 10 episodes in, I think that's a problem for the TV series. If we weren't reading, uh, watching the television show because we've read the book and we're doing it for this podcast, if I have to get 10 episodes in to enjoy 13 episodes, yeah, then they've got a problem with pacing. They should have made it two reasons for some of the episodes at least. I can understand that some of them need to be stretched out because there's more to them, but some of those stories, like the, the stalker, the for poetry. example. The poetry, yeah. the stalker, the... The basketball player. The basketball player. Yeah, there's quite a few of those. Yeah, they should have doubled up and gone half an hour for some of the sides. I completely agree with that. It does have problems with pacing. Can I just bring up a minor technical quibble that irritated me? If we... <laughs> this is from both the book and the television show. He's about to show, he's about to show his age. You're right, Bree. I am. <laughs> it's to do with the tapes. Imagine you've received the tapes. You listen to them end to end. You know, you listen to side A, you listen to side B. and then Is this like a be kind, next. rewind kind of issue? Or what's yeah. <laughs> You're saying be kind to rewind the tapes. You don't need to rewind the tapes if you've listened to them all in side sequence. B. Because they'll be automatically rewound by the switching to side B. <laughs> yes, but no one reading that knows this. Except you, Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> If you're listening to side B and it only goes to like halfway through the tape again, it's not going to be in the right spot on side A, right? Yeah. Ah, this True. makes more sense. If it's not a full... She hasn't used up a full cassette each time. Mm. All right. I'm on You might get now. some of Hannah's like parents' <laughs> old music on there after she finishes talking or something. <laughs> the other thing that I found a bit sad was that they weaved in or they appear to be weaving in a little bit of depression in 
in Alex from the last couple of episodes that I've seen. So, you know, the speeding and the yeah. all those sorts of things. And nobody is picking up on it. Maybe I'll just kill myself. Mm, nobody yeah. is picking up on it and nobody's doing anything differently. And even Clay is showing these signs of depression and not being able to cope. And all of these kids have listened to all of these tapes and not one person is doing anything to change. Yep. That is just heartbreaking. Very astute as well, Bree. If you go on to actually finish the series, you'll recognise that you're you're on the money there with your observations. Mm. Mm, interesting. The other thing that bugs me so far is that Clay seems hell-bent on not just – okay, I'll tell you the one thing I do – this is one thing that I like and then I'll talk to you about the thing that drives me a bit nuts. So he is – listening to the tapes over a period of time. So in a the book a period of time. Yeah, like 6 years. <laughs> <laughs> but in the book it's it's done over and done within sort of 24 hours on yep. the story in the television show takes place over at least weeks, which allows the character development, which allows the relationship between the group of kids that have already heard the story to effectively be bullying Clay in some ways because he's struggling to deal with it. So instead of having what I think Hannah desired, which is that people take some responsibility for their actions and maybe change their behaviour, it's actually creating the opposite effect, which I think is kind of disappointing. And then Clay's reaction is to seek revenge almost on each of the people that are affected by the tapes. He exposes Tyler and and he humiliates Courtney and... It feels a bit like he's trying to justify it or... He's fighting fire with fire, which isn't really the appropriate response. No, and I think that loses a little bit of subtlety in terms of what the book did, which is to encourage this group of kids to learn from this and to do something differently if they see that in their real life, whereas the television isn't achieving that for me. When I read it, it's just basically a big fuck you from Hannah to everybody else. Mm. Like it's this horrible mm. kind of dumping of misery upon these people. Like it's not a it's not a reform. It's a, like a parting shot, a spiteful like spit in their face on her way out kind of action. And I really like the way in the TV show that Clay takes that on board and he does these things that are really morally questionable. He takes a photograph of Tyler, doesn't he, when he's getting undressed in his room or something like that. And he butt naked. He really veers into this dark territory a little bit in the way that the tapes have affected him and and the way that he wants to lash out in response to it, as a lot of the kids do. And then towards the end there's some really good scenes. I don't want to spoil it for you guys. Are you going to watch the end? Spoil it. Go for it. We'll I think be you fine. should watch it. We we will. Yeah, I won't. I won't talk about it. But there's just some really good scenes with Bryce and Clay and uh, that sort of stuff towards the end that I thought were really good. And in a way, it's almost like this kind of suffering arc for Clay. Like he's he's not without fault in the TV show. He sort of suffers through, repents. It's that that kind of arc that I found really fulfilling. This is particular to the TV show. I don't remember what episode it was in, but there's a point where Clay is like nothing matters anymore, and he rebelliously drinks milk straight from the bottle. (laughs) Damn, Clay, man. Take it easy. Clay, come on. (laughs) A step too far. That's what we need to be having the debate about representing on television is uncensored scenes of drinking milk from the bottle. It is. I want to talk a little bit more about Tony, just a little bit, because he played a much larger role in the show than in the book, and I thought he was a really commendable and grounded character, and like Pat, I had a bit of a man crush on him by the end. And there's a quote from Clay that I really liked, mm-hmm. and it's- <laughs> It's just, you have to guess what it is, he's not going to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> you should all watch it and decide what that is. <laughs> it's, you're like this unhelpful Yoda- <laughs> <laughs> it just cracked me up when he said that because he's a little bit shorter and I guess that's the reason for it. And he was sort of yeah imparting knowledge in this kind of sensei, kind of learned way despite being up, up here, which I thought was a fitting line from Clay and one of the funniest points in the whole series. Speaking of funny points, one scene that I did find hilarious was Clay finding out that Tony was gay. Obviously, we yeah. all knew and all the other characters knew, but that was just a, a minor moment of comic relief that surprised me and delighted me (laughs) when he talks about his boyfriend being like jealous of him hanging out with clay yeah and clay's like not romantically and then looked at him and like right 
Yeah. And Tony had some, like, funny line about, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) The other point was, even though I felt the series was far too long, and that has affected my ability to finish it, obviously, but I did really appreciate the acting. The casting Mm. and the acting was pretty fantastic. For the leads, for Hannah, definitely, for Clay, Tony's phenomenal. Maybe Justin and uh, what's Justin's girlfriend? Oh, Jessica. Jessica, maybe not quite as good, but overall it was surprisingly good casting and I had no idea that Hannah was Australian. Yeah, she did a good job. Hannah Baker was really well done. She's effectively exactly what I would have thought that she would be from the book. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, she was incredible. I I thought both of them were amazing. The two leads, Hannah and Clay, did such a stellar job. And the parents as well, they were on the money. Mm, Particularly in those later episodes, just the raw grief, which I think would be really hard to portray on a film. They pull it off Mm. and it's just awful in a good Mm. way. So real. Mm. There was a couple of crutches that the TV show kept falling back on. One of them I found amusing and the other was highly frustrating. The first one, to differentiate between Clay in flashbacks and Clay in the present, they would have Clay constantly having some kind of head injury. So, in the first episode, he crashes his bike and has this massive gash on his forehead. And as that slowly heals through the series, which again plays out over weeks, he's then climbing a rock wall, a rock face with Tony, which is just something you do because that's what sort of guy Tony is. This is the kind of stuff that made me roll my eyes and go, what the hell is this Tony guy? Like, it makes no sense. <laughs> He's an adventurous, manly spirit and it's oh, great. It's just, it just jar- it's jarring, that kind of stuff. It's sexy is what it is. <laughs> it was jarring for Clay as well because as Tony's climbing ahead of him, he pulls a rock down and it smashes Clay right in the forehead where he's had that injury that had just about healed up at that point. So, suddenly he's got this injury back on his forehead again, which is useful as a viewer because you know when you see Clay with a busted forehead, he's in the present and you, when you see him with no busted forehead, he's in the the flashbacks it's it's like red barrels in a video game you know everybody knows what it's there for and you don't sort of resent the marker that helps you understand what's going on yeah that's that's the one i found amusing i didn't have a problem with that as such i just thought it was funny that poor clay has to get beat up or hit with a rock or crash his bike so we know which clay we're looking at (laughs) the one that i did find annoying though was it was the way they showed clay's mental deterioration into hallucinations and it was a stress from listening to the tapes obviously but partway through the series they started doing this a hell of a lot and it's annoying basically it's this element of boy who cried wolf when you're watching it goes from wow didn't see that coming to oh shit that actually didn't happen and then finally elicits the response i don't care whether this is actually happening now because they just did it so much did you guys find that yeah. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. I've forgotten. There was one particular moment when it was on the rock climbing episode where at the very beginning of the episode he falls off the rock face and as soon as it started I, I knew he wasn't climbing a rock face and he was going to wake up in his bed and all that kind of stuff. You're right. It, it got to the point where I was just rolling my eyes. Mm, yeah. There were so many of them, Pat. I can't believe you can't remember them. Like he'd dance with Hannah and suddenly she'd cut herself open on the dance floor. And Oh, no. I, I really liked that. I like them at first, but they just overused it through the middle. Mm. They overused everything through the middle, but those in particular were a bit annoying, I thought. And I'll pick up on Bree's point from earlier that many of the characters that were singled out on Hannah's tapes at the end of the series, they haven't learnt from their mistakes. Justin at the end is reaching out to many of them and they all turn their backs on him. Tyler, who obviously is a complicated character, he's the peeping Tom guy, he continues to be picked on by everyone. And Alex, he still doesn't have a support group or a support system and no one really picks up on him spiralling out of control except Brie. Good job, Brie. It's messy and there's a reality to it because of that, but does that make it lose the message a little bit? It does because it, for me, the like I said before, the strength of the book is that it's trying to get someone to ask someone a question. So it's trying to get – and it succeeds in that because there's this lovely ending with Clay saying to Sky, are you okay? Simple, picking up on the signs and doing something about it, changing his behavior because he's learned something. It's completely lost in television series. Mm. I don't think it is. I think. I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody's going to pick up on it in episode 13 for Alex. I don't know. But it becomes about revenge rather than about changing people's behaviors. I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised if you finish the series. Yeah, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the ending of the book and the ending of the TV series, if we set aside the hook for next season, is the same. So we do see 
Clay approach Sky, and or he he moves towards her. I think in, in the TV series, and he actually says something to her in the book. But it's the same ending. So I think Clay comes full circle. Not that he's really shouldering any responsibility for what's happened earlier, but Clay in particular does get a message from Hannah, but several of the other characters don't. And I think that can be potentially, depending on the audience, damaging. Mm. As real as it might be, it's maybe not sending the right message entirely. I feel like you should spoil it and tell us what happens. No, I don't want you to. (laughs) Damn it. I'm in pain watching it. It's our fault for not watching it. It's all very similar to the book. Hmm. There's no major deviation from the book, really. There's just sort of added material mostly, and it's well worth watching those last few episodes. Yeah, definitely. Pat's right. I'll be interested to hear what you think when you get around to it. All right. What about the fact that because you learn so much about all these other characters and their motivations and their backstories, does it rob the book's original message, which is you can't consider your actions alone how they might affect a person because there are other forces at work so in this case there's many people doing many nasty things horrible things that affect hannah whereas you suddenly stretch out the series and fill it with these characters that have complicated backgrounds it uh doesn't forgive them i guess but it it tries to well i don't know if it tries to but it ends up justifying some of their actions to a degree I think it's good in the way that it looks at everybody more as a network rather than all these people who are living nominally normal lives and impacting upon Hannah who is singled out as the person with a mental illness, with a reputation, who is vulnerable to these kinds of things. Rather, it kind of shows everybody as being on a fairly level playing field. Everybody is susceptible to all of the interactions that happen amongst this pretty awful network and flipping it around conversely it looks at the impact that hannah has had on them with this awful awful thing that she has done to them even though she was in a horrible place even though she was desperate and just wanting to be heard she has saddled them with something so horrific and i think it's really cool to see that side of it as well, to see the whole story, to broaden it out. I think there was definitely a story to be told there and you don't lose too much of the book's message in telling that story. It goes from being one person affected by a community to a community of people being affected by their actions. And I like that because that's the way that these things work. Mm. Mm. That's true. It does add the complexity that a real-life situation would have, and it also allows them to highlight things like the pack mentality that's briefly covered in the book, but here we actually see it play out, and it it does add the complexity that a real-life situation would have. But it's just difficult because, I mean, a lot of these people don't deal with it in – I don't think they deal with it in an acceptable way. It's probably realistic, but not necessarily acceptable that they're just looking out for themselves. Basically, after this comes out, they want to keep everything a secret and keep it all covered up. Do you think it's wrong what Hannah did? And I'm more talking about the book here, I guess. Do you think it's wrong that she sent the tapes out that exposes each person's actions and makes them think about those actions? Like, do you think if if she didn't do it, then each of those people would have had little to no idea the role they played? Yep. Hmm. I think it's in the context in which it was done as... A suicide note, it was an awful thing to do to a lot of people who in reality are doing thoughtless teenage stuff that a lot of thoughtless teenagers do and will damage them irrevocably for their entire lives. I don't know that it's not better to make people think about the consequences of their actions rather than be ignorant of those consequences and maybe be doomed to repeat them. Yeah, I I definitely think there's something to be said for being aware of the consequences of your actions. But in this case, Hannah died, Hmm. which is not the ideal outcome. It's not the right way for anyone to become aware of anything or for Hannah to go about getting her message across she just made an absolutely horrific mistake and like you said Laurie, sort of deprived the world of the fully formed hannah baker the fully realized hannah baker the adult hannah baker that could have made an impact in so many other different ways she, she chose the path that she chose and it was the wrong path oh i 100 percent agree with that we, we all we all want the hannahs that are out there suffering not to make that choice but i don't necessarily feel that it was a bad thing for her to expose them but yeah 
a different way would have been. When you think about characters like Jessica and the things that she went mm. through, I don't know how you can in any world sort of suggest that she needs further punishment on top of what she has already endured from the same peer group that Hannah was a part of. Uh, Hannah's just inflicted misery on top of misery mm. in, in those sorts of cases. And the whole affair is just vile. Mm. And I think maybe that's where this art maybe can be justified in some way, like writing books like this, if it can make people think about these kinds of issues and think about the impact that they have on each other. And it's something that people seem to lack so much, especially through their teenage years. But even into your young adulthood, it strikes me so much that people just lack a sense of empathy for the people around them. They just have no sense of the way that the things that they do, the way that the things that they say impact the people around them, the way that they Mm -hmm. talk in a careless, harmful kind of fashion, the way that they pick on and talk down to and diminish the people around them. You just don't know how it impacts other people. And even if it's only in the tiniest fashion, even if you only sort of ruin someone's day instead of someone's life, then doesn't that make you feel a little bit shitty anyway? It's just, yeah. You know what's great for building empathy? Tell me. Reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Overall, I, I liked the TV show and I found it compelling watching, particularly picked up, like Pat said, towards the end and it had a strong message and I think there was some good intentions there amongst other bad intentions basically to get the, the viewership up and to hook people for the second season, which I think is a very painful parting shot that the show had, just like Hannah's tapes were to the characters in it. Mm. I think 13 episodes was too long, but the acting was fantastic so it kind of balances out even if it's been a bit of a slog that we're still continuing (laughs) i'm looking forward to those final episodes though if pat's and and perhaps yours keith review of those final episodes holds true then there's probably something to look forward to look you just need to watch them to to round out your viewing it would be foolish to go that far and not to finish it off i think Hmm. all right well a five-star system or else there'll be beef if we need that warning it's scoring with keith (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for the intro. <laughs> We're going to have a 13-point system this time, I know it. <laughs> Let me just make nine changes to my... <laughs> no, I'm not having 14 because there was 14 tapes there with Clay in... Or 14 sides with Clay filling out the last one in the TV series, which might be a spoiler for Laurie and Bree. Sorry about that. How do you score a book like this? Well, you pull the focus back in and score it just like you would any other with a humorous scoring system. Hooray! Was this <laughs> was this one Bryce, an absolute piece of shit? <laughs> Fuck you, Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> was it two Courtney, the self-obsessive, unmoistened bint? Stole my time and I can't get it back. <laughs> Unmoistened? <laughs> Unmoistened? Bint? What? That's, that's a Monty Python reference. <laughs> uh, was it three? <laughs> Hannah. Worthwhile and thought-provoking, though didn't meet its full potential. Oh, oh that's I feel harsh. really bad about you putting Hannah as a three. Mm. Oh. I thought a long while about that and and you oh. thought wrong ultimately. <laughs> Laurie joined me in the thoughts in the blame. Uh, f- was it four? Clay, good intentions and high functioning, but a little bit of a danger to itself. Oh. Or was it five? Tony. Tony. Yes. Wise, insightful, <laughs> self-assured, and stylishly arranged. Good looking. Gosh. Who, who wants to work? Climbs uh, <laughs> mountains for no reason. <laughs> Let's start with you, Patrick, your choice. After talking about it, I feel better about it, but uh, I really struggled to get through it and I found it a bit tedious and I don't know if that's just coming off the TV show or what, but uh, I can only give it two, I think. Wow. Oh, yeah. my God. That's the, are you putting that in brog territory? That is like a harsh <laughs> review. That's less than brog. Yeah. Yeah, that man. That's a stupendously harsh review. Maybe I am being harsh, and but I certainly wouldn't go above a three. My my gut feeling was two coming into the episode, and so I'm going to stick with it. Nice one. Wow. Keith? 
Interesting. I am torn here. No need to interject with Natalie and Brulia references, Larry. Uh, it immediately, immediately came to mind. While you're thinking about it, I'll tell you, I give it four stars. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going clay on this one. It's four stars for me. Well, it's four stars for me as well. And I might just pipe in with my review of the television series so far. <laughs> two stars. And apparently, yeah, I would say two for the series. Do we want to all score the series then? Yeah, go for it. I'd give it four. Yeah, it's a four for me on the series as well. There's a lot of flaws to it, but it was compelling viewing. Right. Maybe we can give an update next episode if we get through those last few. Yeah. Yeah, do it. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, wow, okay. I guess we came at opposite ends and we got the opposite result, so. Yeah, it seems like it. We'll never know if it would be reversed if we'd watched them or read them in the opposite order. Interesting. Well, I'd be interested to hear what you think of the TV show as a complete piece rather than sort of where you're up to at the moment. So, Keith, did you watch the entire series before the book? Yeah, yeah, I did. Pat recommended it. You didn't do any alignment. You didn't do do any overlap. No, not at all. Like, I watched it shortly after Pat did. Oh, okay. And was able to kind of unload my thoughts to Pat at the time, which was handy for referencing now to jog the memory because, yeah, it was a a little while between watching that and reading the book. Mm. Mm. Well, folks, that's us for another episode. Thank you for the company. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Seeking Tumnus. Hit us up there with your comments or suggestions. Next time we're together, we'll have read a book that I'm not 100% convinced whether I've read or not already. I thought I had, but suddenly it's all seeming a bit unfamiliar. It's Susan Cooper's Oversea Understone, the first in the Darkest Rising Pentology. Yoink! Stolen from Bree. Thanks! <laughs> hey! <laughs> that does not sound like a Brie title. It is. Interestingly, this is like the only fantasy that I can recall reading. I had to read it as prescribed reading in year seven alongside okay. Goodnight, Mr. Tom, and I remember loving it. In fact, mm. I still have the mouldy old version on my bookshelf. That's how much I liked it. Oh, Excellent. Right. Intriguing. Look forward to it. Yes, it'll be interesting to hear whether you like it as much now that you're mouldy and old. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember what they said about how small insults can have an impact? (laughs) Cumulatively. Until then, remember to be kind to each other and keep reading. Much better. Yes. Much harder viewing than Glow is, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, I forgot Glow was good. I enjoyed Glow so much. I've forgotten about Glow. It was great. 